Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hi, I'm Vishen Lakiani, founder of Mind Valley, the school for human transformation. You're listening to the Mind Valley podcast, where we'll be bringing you the greatest teachers and thought leaders on the planet to discuss the world's most powerful ideas in personal growth for mind, body, spirit, and work. Hi, Mind Valley fans, and welcome back to the Mind Valley podcast. Today, we're going to deal with a topic that I know all of us face every now and then when we are about to take a big decision, when we are chasing a goal that seems a little bit bigger than us, when we're about to do something that for whatever irrational reason hits us with panic or fear. The topic of today's podcast is how to overcome fear by understanding your fear archetype. And our guest today is Ruth Sukup, the founder and CEO of Ruth Sukup Omnimedia Inc., which is a wellness company that she created that now has over 950,000 email subscribers, over a million social media followers, and just a massive fan following. Ruth is the founder of Living Well Planner, Living Well Spending Less, and Elite Blog Academy. She's a New York Times bestselling author, and her latest book is Do It Scared, Finding the Courage to Face Your Fears, Overcome Obstacles, and Create a Life You Love. So she's been featured on Women's Day, Red Book, Family Circle, Fox News, and she's a wife, mom, daughter, sister, friend, and a depression survivor. So Ruth came up with an idea called the seven fear archetypes. And when you understand which of these seven archetypes you belong to, you gain the ability to better overcome your fear. So let's get started with Ruth Suko. Welcome to the Mind Valley Podcast. Hey, thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. So Ruth, first, let's talk a little bit about your background. How did you get started in this field on helping people overcome fear? You know, it was almost sort of accidental. I think fear has been something that has definitely been a big part of my life, both in my personal life and as an entrepreneur and starting my own business. And what I have found over the last nine years of growing my communities, both at Living Well, Spending Less and at Elite Blog Academy. So I have, you know, both regular women who are just looking to improve their lives and then entrepreneurs who are looking to start online businesses. But fear was a topic that kept coming up. And so many people in both communities would come to me so often and say, you know, you talk about setting these big goals for yourself. You talk about going after your dreams. And yet I feel so stuck. I feel like I am sitting on the sidelines of my life, or I feel like I've spent so much time taking care of everyone else that I don't even know who I am anymore. I don't know what to go after. And I'm so afraid. And sometimes it wouldn't even be fear specifically that they were talking about. Sometimes it would be describing a feeling of overwhelm or anxiety, but it all sort of came down to the same thing that fear impacts so many of us and holds us back in so many ways. And it got me really curious about this role of fear in our lives and made me want to understand, first of all, what is this fear? Is it the same for all of us? Does it look the same for all of us? But more importantly, what can we do about it? 
And so I started asking questions and those questions led to more questions. And before I knew it, I had surveyed more than 4,000 people and we had so much data that I ended up having to hire a whole team of researchers and psychologists to help me sift through all this data and make sense of it all. But through the end of that, what we discovered was actually really, really incredible and has been kind of transformative for so many members of my community so far. I see. I see. No, that's fantastic. And the seven archetypes, let's go deeper into that. Yes. So what came out of it, really, the main thing that came out of all of this research was this realization that fear is not all created equal. We all have fear. We all experience fear, even if we don't necessarily call it fear. We call it by many different names, but the way that it looks for each of us and the way we experience it is very different for different people. But there are very distinct patterns. These seven fear archetypes, it's sort of they all fall into one of these seven categories. And it's important to understand that these archetypes work on a continuum. So we all have a little bit of all seven of these different fear archetypes within us. But there's usually for most people, there's one or two, sometimes even three or four that are most prevalent and that are most strongly affecting us. And the reason why this is even relevant and why it matters is because it's sort of like when you don't feel well and you decide to go to the doctor and you go to the doctor and you say, you know, doctor, I'm not feeling good. Can you help me? And the first thing that the doctor has to do is figure out what's wrong. There has to be a diagnosis there because you could be suffering from a stomach ache. You could have cancer. You could have appendicitis. Those are all very different things. And if the doctor tries to give you the same cure for all three of those things, something's not going to work. And so it's really about finding the diagnosis. Until you find the diagnosis, there can be no cure. And fear works the same way because what's happening, so much of this fear happens subconsciously beneath the surface where we don't even realize it's happening. We experience it not always as fear, but as truth. This is our truth. This is just who we are. This is how we operate. This is what we feel and what we feel must be true, right? And it's not always, but as soon as you can shine a light on that and realize that what's happening subconsciously is actually your fear talking and make it conscious and not subconscious anymore, that's when you start to have the power to do something about it. I like that line, make it conscious and not subconscious anymore. Now, is there a way for us to figure out our archetype? Yes, absolutely. So along with all this research that we did, we actually ended up developing a assessment that you can take. You can go online to our website at doitscared.com and take the assessment to determine your own fear archetype. And, you know, it's unbelievable how much science and research goes into creating an assessment like this. We had to have psychologists look through the questions and make sure that they don't have question bias in the questions themselves. But it's been a really, really helpful tool. And what we have found, we've had over 30,000 people take the assessment so far. And what we have found is is that it's almost an instant insight into yourself that allows you to instantly start making changes. Because again, shining the light on something that was happening in your head subconsciously without you even realizing it, and then all of a sudden seeing it gives you this immediate power that you never had before. And it's really, really been just interesting and incredible to see the amount of changes people are able to make in their lives in a short amount of time, just having that little piece of information about themselves. Thank you, Ruth. Can you describe the seven archetypes so that as we're listening to this podcast, we might be able to get a sense of where we might fall? Oh, absolutely. So as you're listening, you know, try to recognize yourself, but realize that you'll probably also possibly start to recognize some traits of 
other people in your life. And the really neat thing about these seven archetypes is not only the insight that it can give you into yourself, into your own behaviors, and to your own thoughts and kind of core beliefs, but it can also give you a lot of insight into the people that you're closest to. So it's almost like a tool for creating empathy because when you realize that some of the behaviors that maybe people in your life have been doing that have maybe been hurtful or annoying to you are actually fear-based and not just because they're being jerks, it can actually change the way that you approach your friends and family. And so it's sort of a secondary benefit there. So I'll just run through them really quickly and I'll talk about what the fear archetype is and what the underlying fear for that archetype is and how you might know if that is one that you might be struggling with. And I'll try to also do them in order of prevalence. So I'll start with the most common one and go to the least common one. Fantastic. I can't wait. So I have my notebook and my journal ready. I know there's going to be a lot of note taking happening right now. For those of you who are driving, don't worry about it. We will recap at the end. Let's get started. All right. So the first of the seven fear archetypes is the procrastinator archetype. And the procrastinator is really just another word for perfectionist. You could even call it the perfectionist archetype. But I call it the procrastinator because a lot of times people will not necessarily recognize themselves as procrastinators, but they will sort of assume that, oh, I am a perfectionist title. And really what the underlying fear there is for the procrastinator slash perfectionist archetype is a fear of making mistakes. And so that can often manifest in a fear of getting started or a fear of commitment. But often you'll see a lot of analysis paralysis and how that can hold you back is that you're afraid of getting started. You're so afraid of making a mistake that you don't get started, or you spend so much time overanalyzing and over-researching and trying to be overly prepared that you never really move forward. And so if you recognize that behavior in yourself, or if that sounds really familiar, then you might be the procrastinator archetype. You know, that is something that is so prevalent in so many companies. I was actually just talking to one of my teams here at Valley. What was going on is that rather than complete a particular project, they were going round and round and round and round doing research and research and research in an attempt to get it completely right because they were afraid of making a mistake. And I had to explain to them that, you know, it's about speed in today's age. It's about speed. I don't need you to be 100% accurate. I need you to be 85% accurate. So I totally get what you're talking about here. And I'm so glad you're speaking about this. Yes. And I should just pause here for a minute and also point out, because I think this is a really important thing to understand. Each of these fear archetypes, they all have negative sounding names and that's purposeful because they're fear-based, right? There's a part of these archetypes that is holding us back, but it's important to know that each of these archetypes also have positive qualities. There's something within each of these fear archetypes that is also serving us and protecting us or helping us in some way. And so a lot of times the most powerful thing that you can do is when you start to understand your unique fear archetype and where fear is most manifesting itself in your life is to understand the positive aspects of that and how you can use those to help you while still mitigating the parts that are not serving you. It's learning to walk that balance because sometimes our greatest strengths are also our greatest weaknesses. And so for each of these, there's something there that has been protecting you. And so you might be clinging to it in some ways, but there's also a piece of it that is holding you back. And that's where you need to learn how to walk through that. I see. I see. Okay, so the second most common, actually number two and three are almost equal in the order of prevalence. They kind of go back and forth a little bit with our testing. But the second one is the rule follower archetype. 
And the rule follower has sort of like this unhealthy fear of authority. And that is the underlying fear, this fear of coloring outside the lines or this almost sense. It's sort of this prevailing and dominating sense that somebody out there is going to crack down on them, some authority figure, if they don't do everything in a specific order, exactly the way things are supposed to be done. So the rule follower is the person who always reads the instruction manual from cover to cover and does everything, you know, toes the line and does everything by the book exactly the way it's supposed to be done. And so the rule follower where that can hold you back is you get real anxious if there's not a clearly defined set of instructions for how to do something or how something is supposed to be done. And that causes some anxiety. And as we all know, in life, there's not always an instruction book for every single thing that we do. But on the other hand, rule followers can really excel in situations where they are given a clear framework to follow or something, a clear set of rules to follow. They actually have great follow through and they're really great at operating within those parameters. I see. So if we were a rule follower, how would we overcome that fear of coloring outside the lines? Well, you know, for each of these archetypes, one of the things that I really recommend doing, there's sort of micro solutions, which happen sort of on a daily micro level and macro solutions. So I'll talk specifically about the micro solutions now, because I think that's an easier one to grasp and something that you can start doing right away. But the micro solution for each one, depending on what your fear is, is to actually practice building up your immunity in very small and low risk ways. A rule follower in our community, this was kind of a funny, silly example, but she scored very high on the rule follower archetype. And in our community group, she shared that as she was trying to practice breaking the rules, she went to McDonald's with her kids. And for the first time in her entire life, she dared to bring her food and drink into the play place area, even though there's a sign that says no food or drink. And that was a huge step for her of just practicing in a very sort of low risk way of breaking the rules and seeing what that was like. Because what we found is that courage is really like a muscle. You have to continually exercise it. And every time you're able to take a small step to overcome a specific type of fear in your life, it builds up your ability to take a bigger step and a bigger step and a bigger step. So that when it comes time to maybe take bigger risks or, you know, forge your own path a little bit more as a rule follower, you've already learned that the sky does not fall down if you step out of line or if you color outside the line. You know, it's really beginning to hit me when you said earlier that so many of these fears are unconscious because I realized that, you know, I thought you were going to be talking about really big fears, but I recognize now that you're also talking about really tiny things that ordinary people sometimes don't even label as fear, but we live our lives based on procrastination. We live our lives based on rule following, and we sometimes don't label it as fears. We label it you know, in different ways, procrastination, for example, right? So I'm beginning to see great value in this. You're calling us out on things that might be holding us back that we're refusing to admit comes from some form of fear. Okay, so the rule follower is number two. Let's go on to the people pleaser. Yes. So the people pleaser is number three. And the people pleaser, the underlying fear there is a fear of being judged or a fear of what other people will think. And so for the people pleaser, there's always this sense that 
they don't want to look like a fool or they don't want to have other people laugh at them or they don't want to have other people think badly of them. And they can tend to be so caught up in other people's perceptions and other people's feelings and thoughts towards them that it holds them back from making those decisions. A good way to look at it and the difference between, say, a procrastinator and a people pleaser is that the procrastinator is afraid of making the mistake. They're afraid of the mistake itself, where a people pleaser doesn't want to make a mistake because of what other people might think about them making that mistake. And it's a subtle distinction, but very, very important. So I want to ask you a question here, right? So I'm trying an experiment right now. And that experiment right now is to see how would it be like if in every action I take in my life, I pay attention to the other person's feelings. So for example, let's say I'm in an Uber and the Uber driver is rude as heck, okay? Rather than simply tell him off or ignore him, I want to pay attention to my ability to make his day better. So I might still engage with him in a polite manner. It's not because I'm afraid of him, but I'm simply trying to understand my responsibility with other people's feelings. Now, where do you draw the line between being considerate of other people's feelings and empathizing versus being a people pleaser? The fact that you are making a conscious choice to do that, you probably don't struggle with the people pleaser archetype. For the people pleaser, other people's thoughts and feelings are so much on the forefront of their mind that it's almost at the expense of their own feelings sometimes. And that's where it becomes almost harmful. People pleasers, and again, there are positive qualities and negative qualities to all of these. So people pleasers are usually great people to be around. They're usually the kindest, most considerate. They're the life of the parties. Oftentimes, they're the ones who are always making sure everyone is okay. And that can be a good thing. And yet it can also be destructive if you're not willing to set boundaries or if you constantly push down your own feelings and your own thoughts and your own goals because you're worried about what other people will think, or if you become so caught up in keeping up appearances to the detriment of other parts of your life. You know, what if you're so worried about having, you know, the nice car and the fancy clothes and the nice house because you want to impress everybody else that you get yourself into debt into a life that you can't afford. So there are good things that can happen as being a people pleaser. Very good things. They have usually great relationship skills because they are so thoughtful and considerate. But you have to be careful about where that could hold you back. So if you're consciously working on being nicer to people, my guess is you're not a people pleaser. Got it. Okay. So that explains it. Thank you for sharing that. Okay. Now we go on to the fourth archetype. The fourth archetype is the outcast archetype. And of the seven archetypes, the outcast is probably the most ironic of the seven archetypes because the outcast from outside appearances can almost appear to be fearless. It's a person that you would probably look at and go, oh, I don't even think they have any fear. But really what the outcast fears is rejection more than anything else. And so the way that often plays out for the outcast is that they will reject others before they can be rejected. It's almost a kind of pushing people away in order to protect themselves reaction. And so while the outcast is the fourth most common overall for the general population, the outcast archetype is actually probably the most common for entrepreneurs because entrepreneurs tend to be people who are really eager to prove themselves and don't want to have to rely on anybody. There's almost that pull yourself up by your bootstraps mentality that can be so prevalent in our culture, especially among entrepreneurs, this idea that you don't need anybody. But oftentimes that comes from a place even of fear where if you really dig deep, and it's funny because I've had this conversation now with a lot of entrepreneurs who have 
the outcast archetype. And I also have the outcast archetype as my top one. And you don't even realize how much that fear of rejection plays a piece in your life until you shine light on it. Now, that one is really interesting. It almost seems to come from that evolutionary need we have to belong to a larger group or a circle or a tribe, wouldn't you say? Yes, it's possible. And yet for the outcast, that part is so hard. And so for the outcast, there's almost this need to kind of shun people. Trust is very difficult. And so there's this kind of gut reaction of, I don't need you. I can do it myself and I'm going to prove it to you also. Outcasts can either be very high achievers or they can almost be like, delinquents where they're rejecting everybody so much that they go to a point of making, you know, bad decisions. But isn't there a second form of outcast archetype? Or maybe I'm wrong and maybe this fits under a different archetype. So a second form of outcast archetype would be the person who, because I've heard the stories from the Mind Valley community, right? The woman in India who married the man that her parents wanted her to marry because she didn't want to be disowned by the family. The closet gay man who chose to marry straight because he didn't want to be cut off from his evangelical Christian family. That would be a people pleaser. Okay, got it, got it. So that's people pleasing versus outcasts. All right, I now see how you differentiated the two. Yes. And it's important to know too, that you can score high in more than one. So if you're listening to this and you think, oh, well, I'm a little bit outcast and a little bit people pleaser, they both sound, and they definitely all sort of work together and how you score on your assessment and the premium version of our assessment will actually show you your score on all seven and it will show you your top three in more detail and also how your top three work together. But how you score is what makes up your unique fear fingerprint. So what I have seen is that for most people, there's usually one or two that are most prevalent and then the rest are a little bit lower. But I've even seen it where someone who's dealing with a lot of fear in their life has scored high on six out of the seven fear archetypes. I see. Well, let's go on to the next one. Yeah, the next one is the self-doubter archetype. And the self-doubter, the underlying fear there is a fear of not being capable or not being enough. And so out of the seven fear archetypes, the self-doubter is probably the one that struggles the most with negative self-talk. And the way it manifests is often with a lot of criticism and insecurity. And so it can be hypercriticism towards themselves, but the way that it plays out to other people can often be hypercriticism towards other people as well. And it's almost a projection of that criticism and that insecurity with themselves that comes out towards other people. So if you can think of somebody in your life who is just constantly picking on people or criticizing people or never seems to have something nice to say is always the person who's just kind of like, oh my gosh, can you believe so-and-so? And they did that. And that person may be struggling with the self-doubter archetype. I see. So, so far we've spoken about the procrastinator, the rule follower, the people pleaser, the outcast, and the self-doubter. And it almost seems like the self-doubter is fairly common. I mean, it almost seems that all of us have a little bit of that, don't we? Yes. And many of us do have a little bit of the self-doubter, but you know, it's the fifth most common overall. So it's less common than you would actually think. A lot of people have that as their secondary or third archetype, but not necessarily their primary archetype. Okay. Well, let's go on to the next one, which is the excuse maker. 
Yes. And the excuse maker, which is also known as the blame shifter, is the underlying fear there is a fear of being blamed or a fear of being held accountable. And so the excuse maker is that person that can never be pinned down. They always have just a reason or an excuse or something, some sort of rationalization for why they couldn't do things. And Often those rationalizations seem very, very believable and almost to the point where sometimes it's even hard to like fault the person, but those excuses are still there. So the excuse makers really struggle with taking responsibility and taking ownership. And that can hold you back because if you're not willing to take ownership for the decisions that you make, then you can even be afraid to make decisions because you don't want to be blamed for them. Oftentimes the excuse maker is the friend who will never pick the restaurant that you go out to eat at because they don't want to be blamed if nobody likes it. I see. Well, that's a very interesting way of pointing that out. I know people who might be having that particular archetype. That's number six. And then the seventh one is the pessimist. Yes. And the pessimist is usually somebody who comes from a place of having experienced some sort of trauma or adversity or hardship in their life. And that has brought them to a place where they are most afraid of additional pain or trauma or adversity. And it almost brings them to a place of just being stuck of, you know, why should I even bother? Because this is just the way life is. It's not fair. I've already had all these bad things happen to me and they're only going to happen again. And there's no point in even trying. So as you can probably imagine, getting stuck in that pessimist archetype can be really, really detrimental. And one where you really have to work hard to overcome that victim mentality. I see. And those are the seven. So I'll repeat the procrastinator the rule follower, the people pleaser, the outcast, the self-doubter, the excuse maker, and the pessimist. That's really fascinating, Ruth. You know, this is almost something that I want everyone on my team to understand because I'm beginning to see how so many of these behaviors play out even in a team setting within a company. And there's so much we can learn from this. So phenomenal ideas. I'm really impressed by what I was able to learn from you today. Well, thank you so much. And absolutely, I've even seen within my own team what a huge difference it makes understanding each other's fear archetypes. And it gives you sort of empathy on the one hand to understand where people are coming from, but also for when you're working on overcoming that, if you can start to see where those specific fears are holding you back, again, that's when you can start to actually do something about it and go, oh, this is something I need to consciously work on or practice so that it's not such a big piece of my life. I see. Now, upon knowing this, is there a way we can leverage these ideas? Is there a model to help us overcome those fears? Yes. So that's exactly what I talk about in my book, Do It Scared. The first portion of the book actually talks about each of the fear archetypes and explains them in more detail. But from there, there's two more steps that you need to take. So the second part of the book talks about making a mindset shift, because once you have shed a light on these thoughts that have been happening subconsciously up to that point, you then have to figure out how you're going to replace those thoughts with a new set of core beliefs or a new set of core values that are going to carry you forward. And I call those the principles of courage. So it's really about doing some mindset work and reshaping and reframing the way you're thinking about fear and about fear specifically in your life. You know, that it's okay to make mistakes. That's one of my principles of courage is there are no mistakes, only lessons. And another one is rules are for suckers and learning how to overcome this idea that you have to stay within the lines all the time or that you have to follow the rules all the time. 
And then from there, the third and most essential critical piece is taking action. And I actually walk people through a framework of exactly what you do to take action. It starts with thinking big and cleaning your target, figuring out what is it that I actually want to do? How do I want to move forward? And allowing yourself to dream big because so often we self-edit ourselves before we even give ourselves a chance to think about those things. But it's not enough to just have a big dream. You also need to know what to do with it. And so I walk people through a process that I call think big, plan small, where I actually show you how to break down those big goals into smaller manageable bites that translate into daily action. Because ultimately, action is the antidote to fear. And every time you take a step, that gives you the courage to take the next step. Wonderful. So thank you so much for sharing that. So again, the book is called Do It Scad. Finding the Courage to Face Your Fears, Overcome Adversity, and Create a Life You Love by Ruth Sukup. Thank you so much, Ruth. This was really wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. It was great to be here. If you enjoyed this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review and mention Ruth's name in the review so we know that you're referencing this particular episode. If you enjoyed this episode, what I strongly recommend you do is check out Mind Valley Talks on YouTube. So we just launched a new YouTube channel. It's already hit 500,000 followers. Our main channel is at 1.1 million, but this channel, Mind Valley Talks on YouTube, is a channel where we now share every major speaker who gets on a Mind Valley stage at our major events all across the world. You'll see incredible talks and ideas from everyone, from Ben Greenfield to Dave Asprey to Jay Shetty to JJ Virgin to phenomenal best-selling authors across the globe. And new talks are being added twice a week. So definitely go on YouTube, type in Mind Valley Talks and click subscribe. All of it completely free. Thank you for tuning into the Mind Valley Podcast. I'll see you next week. Lakiani, and this is the Mind Valley Podcast. If you like the Mind Valley Podcast, take the next step. Become a Mind Valley member. Imagine being coached daily by the greatest teachers on the planet. How quickly would you transform your health, your mindset, your body? your relationships? How quickly would you double the size of your company? How quickly would you see your career grow? How quickly would you eliminate any limiting belief that's holding you back and manifest a life that you once thought beyond your dreams? When you become a member, you don't just get access to the greatest education in the world. You become part of a community of 150,000 of the most incredible people dedicated to personal growth. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash now to get started.